Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be giving my commentary on Sister Wives, Season 4, Episode 1, Sister Wives Separated. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. And to my podcast listeners, please follow this podcast and give it all the stars on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you listen. Today marks the start of Season 4. It's Christmas in Vegas. Cody and his family traverse a mountain to chop down the saddest looking tree in the history of Christmas. The family also has a cringeworthy moment this episode where they go Christmas caroling as a family door to door in the neighborhood. And Leo Scorsese directs the Brown family nativity play. And we see the introduction of the seed that became my sister wife's closet, the failed my sister wife's closet, as Robin primes the soil by giving her sister wives each a necklace as a Christmas gift. And before the wives can even get the clunker open, Robin announces proudly, it's my design, guys. It's my design. I designed it. And Robin reveals that they have been toying with the idea of opening a business, my sister wife's closet, to sell jewelry, clothes, and handbags. When Robin mentions this in confessional, Janelle practically rolls her eyes. You can tell she isn't having it. And of course, Janelle came in with a much better idea of opening the fitness center, and that was supposed to be in the works. They had an investor, they had Bill involved. And then all of a sudden, suddenly, the family business is steamrolled into Robin's dream of my sister wife's closet, and the fitness center just vanishes into thin air. Also in this episode, I have never seen Cody happier than he was this episode when he gets his dream gift, the gift of a lifetime. This guy is all smiles, grinning from ear to ear, excited like a kid in a candy store because Cody, the gun enthusiast, gets a super rare gun, an exotic, unattainable firearm, all the wives pitched in to get him this weapon. Cody and Christine have hit a rough patch. Christine has been trying to work on things and they're doing counseling. Cody wants to know if he is out of the doghouse with the ring he bought Christine for Christmas. The ring she picked out herself that he basically paid for. Christine tells Cody this episode that they have stuff to work on. And he asks what they need to work on. He asks communication. You can tell that Christine takes her marriage seriously and Cody doesn't. And he doesn't seem to really care. Christine feels communication would be a good place to start. And Cody thinks that Christine is afraid to spend time with him. Christine says she doesn't think that when Cody is over there at her house that he wants to be with her at all. And Cody says he's excited to go over and see her. And he comes over, he sees her mood, he sees how things are, and then he wonders. And we hear a familiar complaint from Christine all the way at the start of season four. She tells Cody that he comes over as late as possible on her nights and he leaves as early as he possibly can. Now, as we recall, Christine complained that Cody would show up late, he would show up around dinner time, he would be on his phone, he would be checked out the majority of the time, he wasn't fully invested, he wasn't fully attentive, he was there when he did show up, he would show up as late as possible, he would leave as early as possible, he wasn't really engaged, and we had that complaint 
even in season 17, as Christine was leaving her marriage. So Christine worked on her marriage, but notice she had the same issues all the way back in season four over a decade ago when they first moved to Vegas, even pre-cul-de-sac. The same issue she had when she left Cody, that Cody was phoning it in, that Cody was disengaged when he was there, that Cody was unenthusiastic. Cody explains, well, they've been busy. Life has been busy. And this episode, we also have Cody introducing the famous cul-de-sac where they build the four homes to the kids and the kids fly kites there and it gives them hope. Cody says he knows that they're gonna get into these homes because they just have to. It really is a very eventful episode. So let's get into it. Season four, episode one of Sister Wives, Sister Wives Separated. The episode opens with a flashback to Saul's birth last episode and all the wives and kids are rushing over in the middle of the night to behold the newborn king. Christine was excited to go over. Janelle was surprised that she went over in the middle of the night. She wasn't planning on it. She didn't know how her kids would react to Saul being born and she was surprised to see how anxious and excited they were to get up to go see Saul. So of course she went. Aspen thinks it's great to have Saul in the family. He's a wonderful baby and she mentions he looks like Hunter. All of the kids are smiling, they're all seated in the confessional, and Hunter has a scowl on his face when Aspen mentions that Saul looks like him. McKelty loves Saul, Hunter thinks Saul is cute. Saul is now almost two months old, he's happy and healthy, he's a great addition to the family, according to Cody, so Solomon is really getting rave reviews with all the stars. Janelle thinks Solomon is a gem and Christine's kids love that there is another baby to hold, especially Peyton. We learn that Peyton particularly loves Saul and Saul loves Peyton. It's very cute. They flash back to Robin asking Mary to be her surrogate and she is saying she is offering it wholeheartedly and this is when Saul was born of course. Robin knows that Mary has been through a lot trying to have more kids. She's had a miscarriage before. It was hard on her. And Robin knows Mary has been through a lot of disappointment and a lot of emotional ups and downs. It's very emotional. And she says it's not fun sitting there hoping every month and then being let down. So Robin has prayed for two years since she and Mary first met. And she means it. She really wants to help Mary out and be her surrogate. Robin knows Mary is still thinking about it and she isn't sure where Mary is at yet with it and it's okay so she is giving Mary room to figure it out and it's going to take time anyways because Saul needs to be old enough for Robin to be pregnant again. So right now Mary is in the process of thinking it over. Cody ends up being very cruel to Mary because when they went to Mexico for their wedding anniversary he suggested that they pursue IVF and Mary wasn't sure she wanted to do it. And now Robin is offering surrogacy. And then a little bit later on in, I believe this season or next season, Mary confronts Cody and she wants to try IVF herself. And Cody shuts her down and he doesn't want to have more kids with her. So it's very cruel to put Mary through all of this. She comes back. She decides she wants to try IVF herself. And Cody pumps the brakes and says, I don't want to have another kid with you. I found it to be particularly cruel. I can't even imagine the emotional roller coaster all of that would take and the toll all of that would take on a person thinking, should I do it? Should I not? And then finally you decide you want to pursue it. You want to try. And the person who suggested the idea in the first place shuts you down and says, I don't want to do this. It's really disheartening. 
If Cody wasn't prepared to have another child with Mary, especially knowing how hard she tried and what she's put her body through and that she has really wanted this, this has been her dream all her life to have a lot of kids. And he then suggests IVF or he suggests Robin as a surrogate or Robin suggests herself as a surrogate. And then she decides she wants to try to pursue this. She finally has hope, like maybe I should try this. And then to be shut down and the person who's going to have the child with you say, I don't want to do this. I just, I mean, it's really cruel and it's very unfair. Cody explains that this is a huge year for the family. And for reference, Cody said that this was two months after Saul's birth. Saul's birth was in October 2011, so two months later, and now we are in December 2011, just for reference. So Cody says it's a big year. They have a new baby in the family. They have to get the family into these homes that are next to each other. They are starting new businesses, plural. So they are as busy as can be. Janelle mentions that the Browns have so many irons in the fire. They have the real estate, the gym, marketing. They have the kids going off to college. They have to get into the homes, hopefully this year. It's almost Christmas. It's the Browns' first Christmas in Vegas. And the Browns have rented a 10-bedroom house in town so that the whole family can be together for Christmas. Cody and the family are going to go to the mountains to chop down a Christmas tree. The most important thing for Cody on a holiday is for his whole family to be together. Isn't that such a contrast to later seasons when Cody calls his family the obstacles to his goals in life? Janelle says it's their main goal this year to live closer together and the family have found some properties to look at and they hope it's something they can afford. Property A is the cul-de-sac they found before Saul was born. The cul-de-sac where the wives ultimately built the four homes next to each other and that's the dream. Cody explains they love the cul-de-sac because it's in the same school district as the rental homes, and the cul-de-sac is big enough for the kids to play and run around. Mary loves the cul-de-sac too, along with all of the other wives. The biggest challenge with property A, the cul-de-sac property, is affordability. Browns are seeing property B this episode. What Cody likes about property B is that it already has a 2,800 square foot house built, and it's a horse property, so they can build three more homes and they can also have cows and chickens. But property B is out of some of the school zones for some of the kids. Property A, again, would keep all of the kids in all the same schools. Robin mentions that she has always really, really wanted a craft room and an office. Yes, of all the wives, Robin definitely needs an office for all of the work she does. She has such a strong work ethic. She is so ambitious. So she is going to have an office in her new house, and she's also going to have a craft room. Christine wants a separate room for a wrestling mat to have a wrestling room in the house for the kids so that they can get their aggression out in the wrestling room. And then she wants to call it the anger room. Cody's dream is just to have four homes shoulder to shoulder. Next, Mona takes the wives to property C. And Robin says property C had sagebrush rolling across it. Across. Those are Robin's terms. But Property C has a killer view with awesome city views, the city lights, and sunsets. It's an unbelievable city view. Cody loves the view. And Robin tells Cody she is so different from him because her thought is, why would you want to look at the lights of the strip? 
and Cody disagrees. Cody likes it shiny. Cody, from his real estate guru expertise, posits that if you are worth millions, if you're wealthy and you wanted to build a villa, right there, it's a worth it investment because you could afford the development. All the wives in Cody, of course, love property A. It's unanimous. It's their first unanimous vote ever that everyone likes the cul-de-sac. And Cody wants to celebrate with a pep squad cheer of Browns Rock. And all the Browns put their hands together and do a Browns Rock. It's a big thing. They all celebrate because they've all agreed on this. People with millions to build a home, by the way, would probably not want a home in the middle of Vegas that overlooks the lights of the Vegas Strip. If you have millions, you want oceanfront property, you want exclusive property, maybe in Europe, maybe in Cannes, maybe in Malibu or Beverly Hills. No one would pick the lights of Vegas and want their home there and have to develop the piece of land unless it's to build rentals or something to turn a profit if they are super rich. That just shows you like the Novo Rich mentality that Cody has. Next, Robin and Mary are doing Christmas shopping for their sister wives. Robin is looking at rings for Christine, and Christine admits she doesn't enjoy shopping with Mary and Robin. We learn also that Robin really likes turtles, and she wants to bring out Christine's wild side with her gift. Christine mimics an experience of shopping with Robin and Mary, and she does a little scenario. And she asks, do you want to get that candle? And the other person saying, oh, it's really pretty. Look how the light shines upon it. And the other person saying, oh, it's not what I've been looking for. And Christine says she isn't exaggerating. That's what it's like shopping with them. She says even though they have a plural family, it doesn't mean the sister wives have to do everything together. Tonight, the Browns are celebrating Hanukkah over at Christine's house. Christine thinks Hanukkah is beautiful, the miracle of lights. She says the holiday is about hope and religious freedom, and she loves the messages behind the holiday. And Cody explains that he has Jewish friends. Celebrating Hanukkah is about remembrance of the festival of dedication. So no one in their church would object to them celebrating Hanukkah. Christine is panicking. There's a time crunch. She has a million things to do and only 20 minutes until everyone arrives. Christine explains that they used to celebrate Joseph Smith's birthday on the 23rd. Joseph Smith was the founder of the Mormon church. And Cody decided that he no longer wants to celebrate Joseph Smith's birthday. And he made this decision last year. And Janelle also found it weird that they celebrate Joseph Smith's birthday. Mary doesn't think that celebrating Joseph Smith's birthday is something typical in the fundamentalist Mormon faith or in the Mormon church, but it was a tradition of Christine's family that Christine's mom kept, and Cody decided he didn't like the tradition anymore because Mormons and fundamentalist Mormons have been accused of worshiping Joseph Smith, and Cody felt celebrating Joseph Smith's birthday was excessive. Christine took Cody's decision personally. She felt like it was against her to stop that tradition that she loved. And she loved her tradition. So she switched from celebrating Joseph Smith's birthday to celebrating Hanukkah. And the family is all seated at the Hanukkah table. And Christine explains that the focus of Hanukkah is the lights and letting your light shine, shining within yourself. And she asks the kids, what it means, shining from the inside. 
And Isabel suggests that it means to be nice. And juxtaposed with this beautiful family dinner and Christine's sacrifice and Christine's dedication to the family, we see Christine mentioning how difficult her marriage has been and how much of a struggle it is for her. Christine says, Her relationship with Cody is at a standstill. They aren't working on it. They are letting the relationship sit there, hoping things will just get better. And Christine says right now they aren't really working on their relationship and it's hard. And Christine really looks down as she says this. Christine has the kids get their light from another light source and light their candle. And Cody mentions that Christine is different than she used to be. And in dealing with counseling, marriage counseling, you have to learn to own your stuff. And he's implying that Christine is the one who isn't owning her stuff, that Christine is the problem. Christine feels like as a person, she is doing fine and she is working on things. Back at the table, Christine explains to the kids that now that their candle is lit by another light source, like Heavenly Father, they got their light like they received from Heavenly Father and they have the light within them and they share it with others. Mary gives her two cents on Christine and Cody's relationship. The same two cents she gave during the tell-all from the season before last when she threw Christine under the bus suggesting that Christine needed to stop blaming others for her failed relationship and she suggested Christine needed to look inward and do the hard work. Mary adds that it's easy when you're in a situation like that to put blame on the other person. And she knows Christine and Cody are both doing that. And the biggest thing you have to do in that situation is to look inward and figure out yourself because you aren't going to change the other person no matter what. Mary continues that it doesn't matter how many times you tell them they are being stupid, they are not going to listen to you. So if the other person won't compromise with you and you won't compromise with them to both make an effort in the relationship and to understand and to communicate and make things work, the solution then is to look inward and fix yourself. Something is wrong with you. Fix yourself to accommodate the relationship and the other person to be able to tolerate the dissatisfaction and to be able to tolerate getting less than you deserve to accept less because the other person isn't going to change. Now, I agree that most people don't change. For change to happen, you have to really want to change from yourself. You can improve, you can adapt, you can compromise, you can communicate better. We all do that in relationships. And you can't ever go into a relationship expecting the other person to change so that the relationship will work. You can't expect the other person to change to make the relationship work for you. It's on both people in the relationship to make an effort to compromise and to put effort in to make the relationship work. It's not just the other person's fault. You have to also take accountability. But just looking inward and fixing you or what you think is wrong with you, if the other person won't budge, if the other person won't invest, if the other person won't make an effort, that will never fix the relationship either, in my opinion. And you also can't go into a relationship expecting to change a person. It sounds like Mary is advising that Cody won't change, 
So Christine needs to work on herself and she needs to work on her sadness. She needs to work on her issues and make herself tolerate things as is. And it seems as though Mary is suggesting that Christine shouldn't expect any different from Cody. She should just accept it and tolerate it as if Christine should find a way to do mental gymnastics to be happy and satisfied with less than she deserves and less than she wants and needs in her marriage. And because Cody won't change, Christine should fix herself to be happy with this relationship as is. She should work on herself without expecting any effort or change from Cody as her husband. The issue isn't just on Christine. A marriage takes two and a relationship, any relationship takes two people. And the issue isn't that Christine changed as Cody says. It's that Christine has realized She is unhappy because in her marriage, she doesn't feel she matters. The change is Christine realizing she can't withstand this. She can't tolerate this any longer. And she wants more. She deserves more. She expects more, as she should. Cody, as Christine's husband, refuses to step up to the plate. There is no amount of internal work Christine can do. There is no amount of mental gymnastics Christine can put herself through to get herself to a place where she can accept less than she deserves in her marriage and be happy with it, especially knowing Cody makes zero effort and will make zero effort to step up and improve himself or his investment level in this marriage. There is all of this accountability placed on Christine and zero placed on Cody as the husband, it seems. Christine seems to be accused of changing by Cody. Did Christine change or did she just open her eyes to the reality of her situation? Christine says they are leaving their relationship alone right now and she hopes time will fix it. She doesn't know. After dinner, the Browns go Christmas caroling because they are an equal opportunity family when it comes to holiday celebrations, according to Janelle. The singing sucks. It's pitchy. It's off key. It's a clusterfuck. It's for a filming opportunity, and it's very cringe. Very. The family are knocking on unsuspecting neighbors' doors, supposedly unsuspecting neighbors' doors, exploiting them, annoying them with their filming opportunity. I wouldn't be too happy to see cameras at my door. Robin feels there is nothing more exciting than opening your door to a bunch of people singing off-key Christmas songs. I would call it annoying. I wouldn't call it exciting. If it was just a family that was caroling innocently, not looking for a scene to be filmed with no cameras, just doing it because there are wholesome people who are into this stuff, I'd be super polite about it. If they came with cameras in tow for a filming opportunity, I would not be down at all and I would find it super annoying. This neighbor, by the way, is the same neighbor from the block party, so most likely this was pre-planned for a filming opportunity. Christine feels like the family spread Christmas cheer in their neighborhood and they had fun. There are a couple of days to Christmas now, so the family is headed to Mount Charleston to chop down a Christmas tree. The ski resort is run by the National Forest Service and they require the ski resort to cut some trees down. So it's a fun way to mark the Browns first year in Vegas. It was probably also free. Browns kept finding perfect trees, but they had massive bases. The trees that they were allowed to cut could only have a six inch base. They found the perfect tree, but ultimately the tree had major issues. 
Cody tried chopping it down, then Hunter and Logan. It was a stubborn tree. Hunter went back. He took it down at 98 chops. The tree fell the wrong way through some other trees. And so the branches kept snapping off as they dragged the tree down the mountain, leaving a trail of branches. The tree had alopecia by the time it was down the mountain. They strapped the tree to the roof of a car and the kids were not happy with the end results. They wanted to go buy a tree at the tree lot. While Cody and Mary were securing the tree to Christine's car, Janelle had to deal with a disturbance among the siblings. There is bloodshed this episode too, guys. There was an emergency. Gabe punched Garrison in the face. Gabe apparently said something to Garrison. Garrison was on top of him, punching him. And Gabe got a good punch in. He got Garrison's nose and there was blood everywhere. Janelle needed paper towels. Janelle handled it. Garrison explains to Janelle that he accidentally kicked Truly and Gabe kicked Garrison and called him an idiot. Garrison pushed Gabe back and then Gabe punched him. Janelle said they got out of control and they let their anger get the best of them. Janelle took care of the bleeding. Garrison was bleeding everywhere. There was blood in the snow. There was blood in the parking lot. Mary, Miss Discipline, was unfazed by this. She says brothers will be brothers. She didn't have that attitude when there was an issue between one of the other kids and one of Robin's kids. Mary made a huge deal and said it was bullying and blah, blah, blah. But now it's brothers will be brothers. No problem. Janelle says sometimes she wants the boys to just sort it out themselves and come back and tell her who wins. Janelle never knows who starts it because the boys are always fighting and Janelle is very frustrated with it. She's at her wit's end. She says it's the bane of her existence that the boys fight all of the time. Janelle is frustrated. Cody is smiling. He finds it amusing when most likely the kids are fighting to get extra attention from their parents, probably because their dad is always absent tending to the favorite wife and her needs and the needs of her kids rather than Cody spending time in all of the households equally connecting with his kids, paying attention to them like they need and deserve. Cody says he saw it going on. He saw the fight and he felt Janelle had it handled. The fight was broken up and he didn't want a referee. He was busy with the tree. I don't think Cody was busy with the tree. I think Cody didn't want to deal with this and he didn't want to look like the bad guy and he didn't want to be a father. Janelle explains that Cody isn't there all the time, so she didn't feel a need to involve him. She says she could call him when every little fight happens, but she doesn't feel the need to. She would be calling him all of the time. At this point, Cody is frowning, looking down as Janelle is explaining this. And I think Cody knows based on his dejected look that he isn't there enough and he isn't invested enough with his kids and he doesn't interfere enough. He's not around enough. He doesn't know enough and his absence creates a lot of these issues and the lack of attention from him creates a lot of these issues because I think personally a lot of this are cries for attention so that Cody will pay more attention and Cody is looking down and he's frowning on the confessional couch as Janelle mentions that Cody isn't around because he knows he is partly at fault for this and if he did what he should as a father maybe the boys would fight less and it would still happen it's very normal among brothers and among siblings to fight but I think maybe it's more excessive because these kids just want their dad and they just want attention and they want their dad 
They are dealing with a move. They are dealing with filming a TV show. They are dealing with a new mom and a new wife, a new family to incorporate. And Cody is absent at a time when he needs to be the most involved and the most invested and the most attuned to his kids to give all of his wives and kids the sense of investment, attunement, and security that he gives to Robin and her kids. If he gave Robin less, he would be able to give the other wives and kids more so that it's a more equal playing field. Not only is Cody spread too thin, but all of his investment and attention goes to Robin and her kids when he could give her slightly less and be more cognizant to give the other kids more and the other wives more so that everyone got some attention from him on a more regular basis. Janelle explains that if she called Cody when every little fight happens, if she involved Cody, she would be calling him all of the time. In a monogamous marriage, most of the time, if it's an intense fight, a wife will involve the husband and call him most of the time before it escalated to one sibling punching another in the face and bloodshed. The father would be involved. The mother would be involved. This escalated to a face punch and blood everywhere. And Cody ignored it. And he didn't want to be involved. He didn't want to be the bad guy. He would rather be liked than do his job and be a father. Cody prefers convenience. When the kids are probably acting out so much because they are crying out for attention from their dad. The kids probably rarely see their dad as it is with all these huge life changes. And their dad's presence would stabilize them and make the kids feel more secure. They see Cody for filming, they act out, and Cody ignores it. He just secures the tree to the car and he ignores it, letting Janelle do it when it's his job as a father to step in to teach his sons how to love and respect each other and to help teach them how to be good men. And as we know, Janelle's boys turned out to be very good men and Janelle did a wonderful job with them. Cody doesn't take this opportunity to be a good father, to be the example for his sons. He ignores it. Instead, he lets Janelle be the bad guy all of the time. As a husband, Janelle deserved support from Cody, especially in this situation when he is present as a father. It was Cody's place to intervene, to pay this some attention, to invest in his sons. And Cody would prefer to ignore it, to leave it to Janelle. So he doesn't have to be the bad guy, so he doesn't have to be inconvenienced. When Cody's neglect of his sons is probably the reason underneath it all for these issues with the brothers. And Janelle is frustrated. She has her hands full like a single mom. And Cody easily could have intervened. He could have seen the need for his attention and given some support to his sons and to his wife. He runs instead to meet Robin's needs, to meet her kids' needs, to play the hero at that house. But how does Cody fare when needing to meet the basic needs of Janelle and her sons or Christine and her kids? Janelle handles things herself so that she doesn't have to bother Cody, her husband and the father of her kids. She doesn't want to have to be calling him all the time. Janelle tells Gabe that he and Garrison let their anger get out of control. And Gabe says it was self-defense. It didn't sound too convincing, but I didn't see the whole thing go down, so I don't know. Next, Mary backs the father of the year as he has his head completely down during this confessional scene as Janelle is explaining that she doesn't want to be calling Cody all of the time. 
Cody looks completely defeated. His head is completely down during this whole confessional scene. He looks guilty. He looks caught. He looks dejected because I think Cody knows as a father and a husband, he didn't do as he should have. And he knows he neglects his kids. He isn't present enough with all of his kids. He knows he looks bad for not interfering. And he knows the situation looks like what it is. So Cody just stays quiet and he frowns and he looks down. He is like slumped down. He looks withered like a wet noodle. Mary backs Cody in this situation. She says she personally has no problem at all with one parent taking care of issues because otherwise it would make it look like Cody was the bad guy all the time. If a wife were telling her child, you just wait until your father gets home. Does Mary mean that Cody is never there? He isn't present and invested in all the homes with all of the wives and with all of his kids. So because he is absent and because he neglects, because he is distant, because he isn't fully engaged, if he engages to discipline the kids when he rarely engages at all because he hasn't established those relationships with his kids, because he isn't attuned to them, because he isn't connected, If he only engages to mediate and to discipline them, then he will become the bad guy in their eyes and he will be perceived as the bad guy to his kids. And so the moms, like single moms, should play mom and dad and do all the frustration and all the discipline alone because God forbid the absent neglectful father of the year becomes the bad guy to his kids for doing his job as a father. And then God forbid they criticize him or they dislike him. And then he pulls away like he naturally will once the relationships aren't easy and convenient for him like he has with his older kids. Maybe Cody would be able to discipline his kids without looking like the bad guy. Maybe he would have more right more authority to interfere as the father without appearing to just be the bad guy who only disciplines them if he were there and invested and making an effort regularly with all of his kids, if he actually did what he was supposed to as a father and a husband, giving equal time to every house, meeting those basic needs in every home, Cody wouldn't be seen as the bad guy interfering with discipline if he was around regularly. And this statement from Mary that he would be the bad guy if he interferes shows that Cody doesn't even do the bare minimum as a father and a husband. Even back in Vegas, pre-cul-de-sac, it shows how bad a father Cody was, how bad a husband Cody was, how disengaged he was. It shows how he was not there regularly or he wouldn't be the bad guy if he stepped in to discipline. But notice, He was always able to meet every need of Robin and her kids. He was always involved. He was always engaged. He was always present and invested at Robin's house to the detriment of everyone else and to the neglect of every other wife and kid. If Cody was present enough at Janelle's, he would not be seen as the bad guy if he had interfered with this fight situation or with the discipline. Why isn't Mary concerned that Janelle gets to always be the bad guy? Why is it Cody who shouldn't look like the bad guy? Back at the crime scene, Janelle tells Gabe she is so upset with the way he let his anger get a hold of him. So she demands that Gabe and Garrison hug right now and make up. Gabe protests, he refuses, but Garrison hugs him anyways, and Gabe pushes him. 
Janelle looks defeated. She is at the end of her rope. And at no point does Cody step in. Not once. He doesn't even look in that direction. He is nowhere in the frame during any of this, even though he is only a few parking spots away tying down this tree. Janelle is done with everybody's commentary. Janelle says she was trying to figure out how to make Gabe and Garrison's life as miserable as they were making her life by making them hug. Cody is belaboring, tying down the tree, just slowly, casually tying it down without a care in the world. Cody says he would have come down hard on both of them. And Janelle says Gabe and Garrison get off easier with her because Cody would have made it no video games for months or an even bigger consequence. No, somehow I don't think so. I think Cody doesn't want to be the bad guy. If Cody was so tough and such a hard ass and so tough on discipline, he would have gotten involved and he would have helped his wife out and thrown her a rope. Instead, he completely ignored it. And then the wives talk about, oh, Cody would have done a harder punishment to try and make him look like he's a disciplinary father or like he's a good father. Cody would come down hard on the kids, according to Janelle and according to the wives. Cody is tough, but Cody is only a few parking spots away from the kerfuffle, completely ignoring it, just tying down that tree in his own world, wanting no part of being a husband and a father. Cody makes the excuse that sometimes, as a parent, you don't have the right currency. He says sometimes you don't feel like you've got the right tools to be able to have your children understand how serious something like this is. So Cody's excuse for letting Janelle handle this completely without even turning his head in the direction of the fight is that, ah, you just don't have the right tools as a parent. What can you do? This is serious, but what can you do? So because you feel inept at communicating and you don't know what to do, you just ignore it. You just leave it to your wife to deal with. You leave it to your wife to deal with the kids as a single mom when probably all the kids ever needed was some communication and attention and investment and presence from their dad. And that is probably a big part of the root of why the kids are always agitated and acting up. It's probably... Some of it, the need or attention from their absent dad. Gabe explains that he was just gently kicking Garrison and Janelle jokingly asks, gently kicking? And Gabe insists. Cody says, eight years from now, the kids will grow up and they will learn to communicate through this, but it's important that they have to learn to understand at a young age that when they do this, when they are his age, they go to jail if they behave that way. What about also as a father teaching his sons to recognize their emotions and how to handle them before it escalates to blood everywhere and a punch to the nose? Next, Cody takes the Pixies to go Christmas shopping for their moms. He takes Isabel, Gwendolyn, Aurora, and Savannah. It was interesting. Cody says some of them are shoppers and others not. Aurora explains the obvious that on Christmas, they exchange gifts with their brothers and sisters. They are at more of a home decor store and Isabel explains that she picked Garrison this year and there is no boy stuff at the store. Gwendolyn explains that each sibling picks a name out of a bowl and that's the person they will give a gift to on Christmas. This year, Savannah got Leo, 
And Savannah got them a dolphin necklace. Isabel found something for her mom. Cody had fun shopping with the girls, but he says he himself, he's a guy, he's a man, trying to figure out what his wives would like at this store. And he says, it's not easy to shop for four wives. It's not even easy to shop for one wife. You have to figure out what will work. So Cody picks out four bags of potpourri for his wives. Mary says it's difficult to get a gift for Cody. So this year, the wives put a lot of thought into it and they got together to get Cody a gift. Christine texted Robin and Robin texted Christine the idea. So they came up with that idea and it was different. And all the wives went in to buy this weapon together for Cody, to get Cody this gift, this weapon. And it's the best idea ever and Cody is gonna love it. And Cody does love it. Wait till you guys see what I already said the best idea ever is for moody, impulsive, unhinged Cody. Cody is still shopping with the kids and the kids are antsy. They wanna eat, they wanna leave the store, they're done with shopping. And Christine explains the amount of money each person spends on the gift isn't important. What's important to them when they buy gifts is what that person wants and what they need. And it's about what would make that person happy on Christmas morning. Cody explains that each mother has a budget with him. And out of that budget, each wife determines how to spend that money for the sake of the kids and for the sake of equality. They keep the present budget close to the same amount. And that goes for the adults as well. They're on a budget, guys. They're pinching pennies. But the wives get together to all chip in to buy Cody a nearly $2,000 gun, an assault rifle. And I have never, ever, ever in the history of the show seen Cody this happy. Next, the Browns are packing to head to the rental home for Christmas. Everyone is excited about the Christmas house and being together. And there is a backyard that the kids can play in. Mary desperately needs Leo's help. It's five. Everyone is trying to pack to head to the Christmas vacation house. And Mary has a ton of stuff, bags and bags and boxes and boxes. She has lots of stuff to load into her car. She has no help in sight. She is clearly overwhelmed. And she says a bad thing about living alone is there aren't a ton of kids around to help her or to get Leo to get the older kids together to help her. But Cody doesn't let Robin stress about loading her car. Robin has no shortage of older kids to help her and she didn't even have to ask. Cody just anticipated the need and he provided the help before she even had to ask. Robin was panicking at her house. She was trying to pack. She was rushing around. She was overwhelmed. And Cody, without a word from Robin, brought Robin help. He brought Peyton, Logan, and Hunter to help Robin. And Robin thinks it's great when she has the teenagers come help her because usually Robin has to do things all alone. She tries to get her kids to help, but the teenagers take initiative. They're ambitious and they get stuff done. They packed stuff and they got it right out of her house, no problem. Mary, when she learns that Cody, unsolicited, he brought the teenagers over to Robin's house and Cody had the forethought to help Robin out without Robin even asking, 
Mary seemed very frustrated and she seemed shocked by this, that Robin got help, that Cody took initiative, that he brought the teen boys over to help Robin and Mary was overwhelmed and she had no help in sight when she could have really, really used some help. But Cody didn't even consider Mary and what Mary may have needed. And Mary only has Leo to help. Mary learns that Cody brought Robin help without her even asking and that the teenagers were over at Robin's house helping her. And she asks, how is it that you got the boys to help you and I didn't? Mary clarifies that she can handle it on her own. She says she's a very independent person and she doesn't ask for a lot of help and she never expects help. She can do stuff on her own, but she says it would have been a lot easier. It would have been a lot quicker if she had the boys help to get the job done. And she says the boys normally would have helped her if they had all lived together or close by to each other in one house or in four homes close to each other. When they all lived together in Lehigh, the boys automatically would help her. Mary didn't expect help. She didn't need help. She says she could do it herself, but she noticed a difference from when they all lived together in one house because the boys weren't there to help her. Everyone is at the Christmas house and the kids love it. They are so happy to all be together with the huge Christmas house, 10 bedrooms, and the kids went room to room staking claims as soon as they got there. And Cody says, now it's the time when everyone looks to him to assign rooms. And Cody says he doesn't do that. He says there are four zones for four moms. And Christine says the wives decided that Janelle will be in a section away from everyone else because she wants to wake up early without disturbing anyone. She's an early riser. Cody tried to insist that all the master bedrooms be taken by the wives but one of the wives wanted somewhere else, so the wives figured it out on their own without Cody's help. Whenever Cody helps, it seems to create more trouble than when he just lets his wives handle things. Cody says this is beautiful because the wives handled it themselves, and when he interferes, the wives wanted him to shut up and sit down. It's interesting how Cody seemed to encourage the wives' independence. He likes them to handle things on their own. He liked Janelle to handle disciplining the boys as a single mom. He likes them handling everything on their own. He likes them being independent. But in later seasons, he bitches about, this is a patriarchy. Your will is to run into mine. Blah, blah, blah. Patriarchy, patriarchy. But it seems he had a different attitude when all of this started. And before, when he agreed to marry these women... It was a different agreement. He didn't sign up for a patriarchy. It seems to me like he liked their independence and he encouraged it. And now in later seasons, he changed the terms, probably to intentionally push them out. The kids love the rental house. And Cody says it's wonderful that the family is together. But this is temporary. It's just for a week. So they have to find homes that are next to each other so the family can be together. This rental even has tennis courts. And Janelle can't believe that she is playing tennis on Christmas Eve. Janelle says this Christmas house experience is an affirmation after a year apart, after a year separate, that having four homes as close together as possible is the best solution and it's the right path for them. Janelle thinks their success as a family has come because they learned to work together and they learned to be close together proximity-wise and their kids grew up as siblings. And she says some plural families live separately like the Browns do now, 
but even further apart because they don't grow up with that sense of camaraderie. So to be close together is their recipe that works for them as a family. Next, Leo, a budding Martin Scorsese, is organizing the nativity play, acting out the birth of Jesus. Leo goes around assigning roles and giving direction. No one is excited but Leo about this play. The three wise men protest and Cody reveals that Leo struggled to get help from their siblings. Hunter thinks in the nativity scene he is the innkeeper, but he's not sure. He has no clue what is really going on. Cody says some of his kids had good attitudes about participating in this nativity scene and others did not. Leo is taking charge. They are in control. They ask all their siblings if they have questions to please raise their hands. No one but Leo gives a flying fuck about doing this nativity scene. Peyton asks why they have to do this and Leo says they aren't going to tell him that anymore. Dayton asks, when can we leave? And you can tell Dayton is just trying to joke and get under Leo's skin. Leo is taking this very seriously as if this is a Scorsese film. And everyone is asking questions just to get under their skin because they can tell how serious Leo is. Aspen suggests that maybe Leo should stop with the questions and just tell them what is going on. And Leo is frustrated and they say they just won't do it anymore since no one wants to do it. And so Gabe yells quiet to try and get everyone's attention very loudly. It's a total shit show. Mary doesn't know what's happening and Cody doesn't know if the play is even happening. It's obvious that everyone wants to enjoy the house and being together, they want to run and play and frolic. I don't understand why they are doing the nativity scene if the only one who wants to do it is Leo. Why not just take a vote instead of forcing everyone to participate in something they really don't want to do? It seems like Leo enjoys being in charge. Next, the boys help Cody bring the tree in. It's sparse. They would prefer to buy a tree. There are barely any branches left on the sucker. But Cody thinks the tree is cute. I think Cody just likes that the tree is free. Cody admits that they beat the poor tree and it was almost a naked tree by the time they got it set up. Mary says this poor tree will be their memory of this Christmas forever. Cody jokes in a grisly voice that they killed the tree themselves and they are mounting it at their house the way one would a deer. I hate those things like the taxidermy deer heads and cabins and things like that on walls. I find it so creepy and weird. I can't stand it. It's really not my thing. Cody loves the tree because he says it was an experience the family had together. The kids decorate the tree and Janelle explains that since Logan is a senior, this is his last Christmas at home before he leaves for college. And it's a milestone for her to have a kid ready to leave home. Mary explains that it's not just a milestone for Janelle. Logan came out of Janelle, but Christine and Mary have been there from before Logan's birth. So Logan is theirs as well. Cody worries about having the oldest child leave home. Cody isn't looking forward to it. It's interesting because remember how eager Cody was for Janelle to kick out her boys because they're 18 and he's done all that he could do? 
Logan says there is apprehension because he has never been out on his own before, but he is definitely ready to get away. Mary says with Logan leaving, it's the first of many. The following year, Aspen and Leo will be graduating. And the next year, Maddie and McKelty will be graduating. And it will just keep going. Cody explains that they had five in diapers once. Now they have five teenagers. And soon they will have five in college and then five marrying. He says it's a flood. They came together and they will leave together. They get the tree decorated and lit, and then the brown kids do their nativity scene. Hunter says the nativity scene was not fun. Logan says it was awkward. Even just in front of the parents, it was awkward. And all of the kids agree. But Leo says it was kind of fun. No one agrees with them. What I find amusing is Garrison is on all fours with Aurora riding him like he's a horse. And it reminds me of the human chair people in Bruno where Sasha Baron Cohen had the house maintenance workers crouch on all fours as if they were couches and furniture for he and Paula Abdul to sit on as chairs in an interview. I was surprised that Paula even sat down at all on a human being crouched on all fours as her chair or that she took a water glass from another person who was crouched down as a table uh, for glasses. But I hope maybe the whole thing was staged and she already knew what she was walking into. I would hope so, but I don't want to digress. But I love Sasha Baron Cohen and all of his work. He's hilarious. Garrison on all fours reminded me of the human chair people in Bruno. The play is a total shit show. Leo is reading off of a page. Cody says the best actor, the easiest part was Solomon playing Jesus. It was the best part of the play. Yes. Cody's child, his son from his favorite wife, is definitely akin to Jesus for Cody. The best part, the most exalted. Mary thinks the play was cute. Cody thinks it was great. The next morning, it's Christmas. The house is a buzz. Janelle says it always looks like they have a ton of presents because there are so many people. When you see the presents, the load of presents, the boatload of presents under this tree, this balding tree with alopecia, with bald spots. It just looks like the presents are completely overwhelming. This toothpick of a tree that has no branches on it. The whole thing is comical. National Lampoon's Christmas. The kids exchange their gifts first. Mary says because they live in four separate houses, Savannah drew a picture of four separate homes and the roads in between them and she drew a car with Cody driving to the other house and she gave that to Leo. McKelty had Isabel and she got her a nail polish kit. It was a huge hit. Cody got Janelle a tablet. He calls it an electronic tablet and I thought it was weird because I'm like okay in 2011 didn't they have iPads? They did. The second generation came out in March of 2011 so it's weird to me that Cody didn't just call it a tablet. He said, I bought Janelle an electronic tablet. And I was like, what? Why not just call it a tablet? That's what it is. No one's going to mistake it for a tablet of stone or a tablet like a writing journal. Everyone's going to know you got her an electronic tablet. I just saw, I've never heard of a tablet referred to as an electronic tablet. It's just a tablet or an iPad. I mean, but this is coming from a guy who didn't know that there were scratch and sniff markers. So it's not that surprising. 
I wonder how Cody does on computers. He seems like the out of touch older person who really gets frustrated by technology and isn't really sure how to use it and everything's overwhelming and oh my God. I just, he seems like way older than his age when it comes to stuff like this. I wonder. So Janelle got the electronic tablet from Cody. Cody gave Mary a necklace with a ruby and diamonds. Mary loved it. Cody got Robin a guitar because Robin has wanted a guitar for a decade. Cody got Christine a ring and she told Cody the exact ring she wanted. So Cody bought it for her. She picked it and she loved it. Robin and her sister wives got Cody a P90 assault rifle. It's an assault rifle. It's a weapon that I don't even know what you would have a need for that kind of a weapon for. Cody says it's an exotic gun. It's a real firearm. And Cody explains that years ago when he was into guns, this gun was unattainable. It was a gun he knew he would never get. It has a hollow sight. And Cody notes that he takes gun safety seriously and they have a commercial grade safe at home to keep guns away from kids. And the wives take gun safety seriously as well. I am very, very, very glad that he has a commercial grade safe and that he is very careful about his guns because obviously we have a huge problem in this country, in society, and in the world, not only with how easy it is to get guns and the allowing of people to have guns that you would need to basically go to war, like guns you would need for assault. Also, there needs to be more stringent mental health checks if you want to have guns. I I think everyone should have a right to have guns, but it needs to be stricter. There needs to be more restrictions. And we definitely need to do more with mental health as well with people who want to have guns. There's a huge problem. I normally don't like to address too much But something needs to be done as far as what type of weapons people can get and what psychological checks they have to go through and what background checks they have to go through. And also there is a mental health issue in general with society where more needs to be done about mental health and there needs to be less stigma out there for it as well. No kid should feel unsafe going to school to get an education. No parent should fear sending their kid to school. No one should fear going to a public place, not knowing who's going to be there with what. It has gotten to a point where now something needs to be done. I don't want to rant, so now we're going to go back to regularly scheduled programming. Next, Robin gives her sister wives their gifts from her, which are a manipulation, to sell them in participating in her dream. These charm bracelets, Robin proudly announces, are her design. She says, they're my design, guys. I designed them. They're my design. And she is beaming with pride, wanting to be showered with compliments. They are silver chains with a crown charm and a clotta charm and a heart charm. And Mary does an over-the-top, mouth-open-wide reaction. And Robin announces, you guys, it's my design. It's my design. And Robin says in confessional with her sister wives there, we have been throwing around this idea of starting a business of jewelry, clothes, and bags and stuff and calling it 
my sister wife's closet. And when Robin is talking about her dream, Janelle gives her the stank eye, especially when she says, we, Janelle had the idea for a fitness center. And obviously the family ends up ignoring that idea and going with my sister wife's closet. So when Robin says we, my sister wife's closet was Robin's idea. It was Robin's dream. And she imposed her dream on the wives who weren't that excited about it other than Mary. Now mentioned that she thought it was a hobby business at best later on in the season or maybe next season. And she also mentioned that she didn't see my sister wife's closet as more than a niche business. It was a niche business. It wouldn't be able to sustain the family. And remember, at the first family meeting over what business they would go with, Robin mentioned that all the wives have to like the idea they go with for it to work. Yet all the wives weren't excited with Robin's dream and her idea when not everyone loved it. Not everyone loved My Sister Wife's Closet. Janelle didn't want to do it and Christine didn't want to do it. And of course, it failed. It was overpriced. The designs were ugly. They looked like an amateur did it, like a kid drew them. And I wonder how much more profitable a fitness center would have been in the long run. Robin announces her Christmas gift to the wives is actually the first design for My Sister Wife's Closet. And you can tell she's really proud of herself. Mary is excited now that they have the beginnings of designs and ideas for the business that they want to do together. And Mary thinks it's a cute necklace. I didn't think it was cute. I think it looked cheap, but I mean, to each their own. I'm sure a lot of people would think that that was cute. Christine and Cody are sitting in their room and Christine says it was a good haul this year after exchanging all of the Christmas gifts. And Christine tells Cody she loves her ring. It's perfect. And Cody asks if he is back out of the doghouse. And Christine asks, love right now? Christine says they have some things to work on. And Cody asks, what they have to work on. You can tell he's not that interested in this conversation. And Christine says their relationship. And Cody asks communication. And Christine says that's a good place to start with communication. And Cody says Christine is afraid for them to spend time together. And Christine says she doesn't think Cody wants to be with her at all. Cody says he's excited to come over and then he comes over and he wonders what is going on. Christine thinks that Cody waits for the last possible minute to come over and he leaves as soon as he can. And Cody tells Christine, well, they've been busy lately. Christine knows, but she tells Cody if they don't work on their relationship and if they ignore each other and if they play on their phones when they're together, then it doesn't really work. Cody starts smiling and laughing and he tells Christine he feels like she is accusing him. And Christine says... She is saying that both of them do that. Now, we know Cody likes convenience, and we know from becoming sister wives that Cody has a pattern when there was a problem, especially in the beginning. He will ignore it and just hope that it goes away and not validate it and not address it, hoping it just goes away and he doesn't have to deal with it or be inconvenienced by it. It looks to me like Christine really wants to make an effort. She wants to communicate. She wants to fix things. And Cody wants to ignore the problem. And he wants Christine to just shut up and tolerate things as they are because he's probably not willing to make an effort. And he sees Christine 
as the one with the problem. She needs to fix something in herself. It's not his problem. As always, nothing is his problem. The beginning of the episode, he said Christine didn't own all of her stuff and he felt like Christine changed. Oh, even if Cody goes to counseling, he is just gonna deflect, railroad, do what he wants and try to blame it all on Christine. I don't believe Cody ever really wanted to work on his marriage with Christine. He wanted Christine to work on herself, to be able to tolerate less than she deserves, to tolerate her marriage as is, and to find a way for her to be happy with it without him making any changes or doing anything at all. Cody tells Christine he loves her. He hugs her very awkwardly and her head is down away from him. And Cody forces her face up with his hand to kiss her. And it is so awkward. You can tell there is no emotional connection there and Christine didn't want to kiss him and Cody made Christine kiss him for cameras. Next, Cody gets the kids together. They are gathered up in the family room because family being together in this house has made him excited about them being together. He tells the kids they found four lots in the cul-de-sac right next to each other and they take the kids to look at the cul-de-sac. Mary says, last Christmas feels like so long ago, and the kids are very excited about the cul-de-sac. You see the light come on in their eyes, you see how happy they are, and Cody says, last Christmas was dramatic. They had to leave Utah. It was an experience of being together in that cabin last Christmas with broken hearts. Last Christmas, they moved and they struggled in Vegas, but they have come a long way and they get the kids white snowflake kites to fly on the property so the kids can dream on this property to bring some magic so the kids can have a magical experience. So the kids can dream on this property and bring some magic as they fly these white snowflake kites. Cody says he feels well right now. They have these potential homes and life is good. Cody is looking forward to the new year and they have to get these homes. Cody knows it will happen and it sure does. Wet bars, aliases, and all, they get those homes and it was all Cody wanted, but they don't live happily ever after. Then they get to Flagstaff and Cody sells the wives the dream of Coyote Pass and they never build as Cody makes excuse after excuse and his wives and kids become the obstacles to his goals in life and Cody pushes everyone away to attain monogamous bliss and now Cody has the mansion and the favorite wife and kids all to himself. He has forced his wives out, straining every relationship, burning every bridge. Yet Cody is rid of his obstacles to his goals in life. He has his goal to live as best customer and soulmate for the rest of his days with the favorite wife, Robin, obstacle-free, and still Cody looks absolutely miserable. Would the family still be together and more functional had the wives stayed in their little corner of the world in that cul-de-sac in Vegas? Was the move to Flagstaff the last straw? Will Cody ever find happiness? Will Cody be at peace as his wife's best customer? Will Robin, the favorite wife, be happy married to her best customer in monogamous bliss for the rest of her days? 
Will Cody get antsy? Will he get anxious with the weight of his misery when he feels the walls closing in in Flagstaff? Will Cody then want to move again, thinking he will find his paradise in some other corner of the world? We will have to see in season 18. That does it for this episode. I'll be back next week with the next episode of My Sister Wives Rewatch, season four, episode two, Polygamous Date Nights. That one is going to be a good one. I think we will get a little more insight into each of Cody's relationships. If you're on YouTube, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and let me know your thoughts in the comments section if you like. To my podcast listeners, please follow this podcast wherever you listen and give it all the stars. I would really appreciate that. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys soon. Bye.